We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, Green Bay Packers fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Pack a Day Podcast. The game day is behind us. We're looking forward to week two edition of the podcast. The the dust has settled a little bit, and we're gonna have some takes from the game on Sunday. Um, kind of, you know, from 30,000 feet up. I am your host, Jacob Morley. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Morley, and I am joined today by my good buddy, Jacob Westendorf, uh, from Packer Report and from Game On Wisconsin. Uh, Jacob, we actually did this like literally 24 hours ago for Game On Wisconsin, and we're going to do it again today because yesterday's show was so dang good that you should probably go find it and listen to it. I know you made that into a podcast. Um, you should do that. I promise you, if you're an avid listener of Game on Wisconsin as well, we are not going to talk about the exact same things today. We got a different uh, lineup, different schedule for you guys to to kind of sift through today with us. Um, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. But Jacob, how the heck are you, man? Doing well. I mean, hey, Vic, it's we're recording this Monday night, obviously. So Victory Monday is a hell of a lot more fun than uh, not Victory Monday. So the last time we recorded a game podcast, it uh, – didn't go so good, so this one feels a lot better. And uh, yeah, like you said, it was so much fun last night. We decided to uh, do it again. Yeah, so let, dude, let's just jump right into. It. I think one of the one of the most fun, I guess, fun, I, and, and especially today. I and I want to I want to qualify this with I am not 
a PFF fanboy. I I just I'm not. I did I actually disagree with a lot of the way they do stuff. Um, I don't always love their grades, but what I do love is I I really do love seeing someone else's perspective on the game, um, and they're able to you know quantify it regardless of whether or not you think they're right. I still find it absolutely fascinating, and I know there's a lot and a lot of jokes to be made about PFF. Um, I think uh, Wes Hotkowitz actually had, had a really good point the other day, where he tweeted something like, "Nobody doesn't, nobody hates analytics guy, but it's analytics pundit that gets annoying when it's, hey, this is what the numbers say, this is what it's going to be. That's not how football works." Um, but with that said, we're going to talk about some PFF scores today. Um, something that I always really look forward to on, you know, I guess Monday mornings is when they do come out with their grades. And I, I like putting together kind of just the top five guys from offense and defense. Um, so we'll start with offense today and we'll run through these. There's going to be a lot of names on here that are super familiar on offense. If you watched the game yesterday, um, you could probably pick these guys in, in really any order that you wanted to. The Packers offense yesterday was fantastic. They, they had a lot of guys, basically anything above 70 in PFS grade is above average. And they had a lot of guys in that category. Um, but to start at the top of the list, we can get this guy out of the way. Aaron Charles Rogers. My goodness. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> he's good. And uh, I think he's, he's still good. But I mean, to be, to be frank, I think Jacob, we kind of know that he hasn't played like this in a couple of years. And PFF basically backed that up. They gave him a 96 grade, which is an elite score. And if you watch the game, he made so many big-time throws. And he made all the, all the easy throws as well. Just everything seems so easy for Aaron Rodgers um, two days ago, I guess on Sunday. The real question now moving forward is, you know, is this a flash in the pan? Is this a mirage? Is this Aaron Rodgers here to stay? Or are we going to get, you know, old, the last, I guess, last couple of years, Aaron Rodgers, who, mind you, is still a very good quarterback, just not the elite Aaron Rodgers that we really have grown accustomed to the last decade. Um, so, Jacob, what are your thoughts on that? You, do you think that, you know, whatever he saw in the offseason, you know, year two of Matt LaFleur, is this something that's here to stay, that we're going to just kind of, almost get spoiled again with elite level quarterback week in and week out. Well, I know he's not here tonight, but he was here uh, leading into this week's game. And that is Ben Fennel. And he always says Aaron Rodgers highlights are from the pocket. And uh, last, this past game, one of his highlights came from outside the pocket, the absolute dart to Devonte Adams. But otherwise that was absolutely correct. Uh, the throw to MVS, the touchdown before halftime, that was phenomenal. Something I liked to see and something that was frustrating was just the the decisiveness, the understanding that the blitz was coming. It used to be, I had a guy uh, on the Game on Wisconsin pregame show, we called it the pre-snap, and oddly enough, that's what I'm talking about. He always said, you can blitz Aaron Rodgers, but it's kind of at your own peril. And that really used to be the case. In the last few years, really not so much. If you blitzed Aaron Rodgers, that was kind of the way to beat him because he would hesitate, he would think, and he would try and beat you outside with his legs and try and create a big play or whatever it was. He just wasn't seeing what was happening and beating you with his arm. Against Minnesota on Sunday, they had blitzes that were coming. I always have the, and Jake, I'm sure you think the same way I do. My thought is always, if I'm watching the game from the broadcast view 
and I can see that a blitz is coming, that a professional quarterback, especially one as good as Aaron Rodgers, can see that that blitz is coming. And there are plays when I'm saying cross dog, like I know Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks are coming. And on the play to Alan Lazard, uh, the deep one up the seam that he hit on a third down, that was one I was like, okay, I know that's coming. So I know Rodgers knows it's coming. And he was just so decisive. His back foot went in the ground and the ball came out. And that was something that I think it was Peter Bukowski said something that the ball on average came out in 2.3 seconds. Aaron Rodgers is at his best when the ball is coming out of his hands quickly. He's a rhythm quarterback. And if he can continue to play like that with the comfort and the familiarity within this offense, and honestly, there are some weapons in this offense. I know that Green Bay didn't get that wide receiver that everybody wanted in the draft, but there are some weapons in the passing game that play some other spots that we saw got involved yes, uh, yesterday. Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, Josiah DeGuara, uh, and other guys like that. I mean, just some of the different things that Rodgers and the rest of this offense is going to be able to do. I think that combined with the fact that, oh, yeah, he still has the ability to do some superhuman most talented passer in the history of the NFL kind of things that he's always been able to do. You combine all of that together. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to be encouraged. This is the first time he's played MVP level quarterbacking or excuse me, MVP level quarterback. He had one game last year against the Raiders where he played that way, but really other than that, it's been a while. So if he plays that way on Sunday, it might be time to get excited. I agree. And I think, you look back at the last couple of years and he did have some flashes of playing like this, but it just feels different. Like I, I think the Raiders game last year, um, the chiefs game was another game that he was making plays. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say luck, but it does. There was a certain element of luck that it, it seemed like he just was relying more on those secondary traits. And again, our buddy Ben Fennel talks about this all the time. His secondary traits are great, but when they become your primary traits, that's when it gets bad. And that's kind of what happened in that Oakland and Kansas City game. Like, he hit on some of those big-time throws, um, but the consistency down in and down out just wasn't really there, just like kind of what uh, Peter said. I, I think it was based off of uh, the, the statistics where, you know, he was only he was only pressured four times. Three of them were on him, um, which is very normal. Um, but the fact that he got the ball out that quick is, you know, you're 100% right. Just get the ball out of your hand. You know, he's got that shortstop release where guys can get the ball quickly and, and work. And what's funny is last night on, on our on the round table, I talked about that throw to Lazard and just how I was like, man, I think that throw is going to get kind of lost in the shuffle. You know, people aren't going to talk about that one as much. And that's kind of been the opposite because when the when the rear angle of that throw came out, my God, like it it defies physics when you look at the way that ball comes off his hand and where it goes and where his body is contorted to. I mean, Packers fans, like let's so like I I just try to soak it in, you know. Like games like that are so much fun because that is not normal. That there are three guys probably in the NFL that can make that throw today, um, and and one of them plays for the Packers. So just enjoy it. Um, and we could talk. We could make this whole show about him. Uh, but we won't. Well, let's run through some of these other guys um, on offense. Um, two, two and three are both offensive linemen. Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley um, both have high-quality scores in the mid-80s from pro football focus. Um, I think I think that's par for the course. I was a little bit surprised that Elton Jenkins was not a little bit higher um, just because I did I, – and he not that he didn't have a good score. He did. Um, 
he was he was ranked above average as well. I think he was like sixth or seventh on this list. Um, but those two guys, you know, they're mainstays in this offensive line, and there's a lot going on with the offensive line right now. But I think as long as as long as Bakhtiari is healthy, as long as Lindsley is healthy, and as long as Jenkins is healthy, those are your three dudes that you can't lose. The those two other spots, you know, those guard spots or that right tackle spot, you, there there are guys they can plug and play there. So. Um, I think those two guys um, are very deserving of their high ranking. Um, this this next one, Jacob, it cracks me up because people saw this Devontae Adams 84 score, which, mind you, is, is a really good score. That's a top five receiver grade for this week. But people saw that score, Jacob, and they saw that he was fourth on this list. And, you know, they were upset. They were so, and, and which is funny because PFF gets all – the kind of the flack from stuff like that. And people are like, how can, how can Devontae Adams be fourth on the list? He was incredible. It's like he was incredible. And actually his grade reflects <laughs> that he was very good. Um, so Devontae Adams, Jacob, what were your thoughts, I guess, on, on that score? Are you in the camp of what the heck he should have a hundred, a hundred grade. He was, in, he was incredible. He was the best. How did he get just a high quality score? I'm not sure if they're dinging him because he technically had like two drops. You know, they had the one in the end zone on on a fourth down that the Packers really, Jair Alexander helps turn the tide here shortly thereafter. So maybe they dinged him there and maybe they ding him on a play on the sideline where they call it a bobble where I guess you could, that's the argument that the official ended up making was it wasn't considered control because he ended up re-securing the ball with his hands that way. But uh, yeah, I this is where I guess you have some of the discussions and that's why I always say you mentioned like the, what was the analytics pundit or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way I equate it was always the baseball stuff is I, uh, I had a tweet that I pinned last year during the end of baseball season where, you know, the guy who hates saber metrics and screams, I hate all the nerds is just as bad as the I'm smarter than everybody because of every stat ever listed guy throws everything out there. And that's why I think you can't just read the numbers off a spreadsheet and say, this is how football's played. Because if it was that simple, then there would be no bad general managers. There would be no bad coaches. There would be no bad anything. Cause we would just trust the data on every single play and everything ever, because that would be infallible because math is infallible. The difference of course, being there's 11 variables, 22 variables on both sides of the ball on every given play. Uh, so that's why, I, I mean, 84 is a really good score. I don't understand, I guess, if 100 is perfect and if it's like a simple grading scale. This is where I guess I don't fully understand their grading system. Uh, But this is also not to go back. And I know this is where people kind of harp on it, especially in Packers world. But the same group that uh, had Aaron Rodgers as an average game for throwing five touchdown passes, no interceptions, and over 400 yards against uh, your buddies from Kansas City down there in a game one year. So... I don't understand. Uh, Adams definitely, I guess if you're going to ding him that much, it would be for those two drops. Otherwise I'm not really sure what it would be for. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's probably for those two drops and probably for the fact that like his yards per catch really was below 10. You know, it took him 13 catches to get to a hundred yards, which is fine. You know, that that's totally fine. Like I'll take the volume guy, but I think they look at it that way where it's like, okay, you know, you start at a, a 60 grade and you get between like, 0.5 0.5 and two points for every play you make. So I could totally see how like, yeah, the, the, the big plays just didn't stack up to get him a higher grade and, you know, running a, a seven yard out route um, is like taking candy from a baby for the, from, for, for Deontay. 
but it's not going to, it's not like he, you know, busted off a 78 yard, you know, big play or something. And those are the plays that really get weighted heavier, which, you know, you can open up a whole can of worms on that because it is subjective. You know, it, it no matter what anyone tells you, that is very much subjective um, to who the grader is. Um, so uh, this fifth one, though, this the fifth guy on the list, top five um, in this really, I mean, almost historic Packers offensive performance yesterday. Number five was none other than Rick Wagner, uh, who had a 79.7, which is an above average grade which has got to be absolute, I mean, with the injuries at guard, that's got to be music to the Packers' ears. And I don't know how they graded with Rick Wagner. Uh, maybe they thought he was dog trash. I don't know. But I thought he played fine. I didn't notice him at all yesterday. And if you're throwing out there at right tackle, and I, I forget that you're out there, that's a pretty good sign. Um, so uh, Ricky Wagner coming in with an average grade, if they can get the guy that really was in this league, you know, three, four years ago, they really have a pretty good, I think that above average grade is pretty much what he is. He's an above average right tackle if he is healthy um, yeah. and he's playing well. So go ahead. Yeah, that's helpful. I mean, you're talking about a team now that's missing Wayne Taylor's down for the year. Lucas Patrick, they said might be probable, but Billy Turner, it's unclear if he's going to be able to play. If he can be above average, that's certainly helpful in terms of replacing Brian Balaga as a level, you know, an all pro level kind of player when he's been healthy. So trying to replace that again, you didn't notice him. I would like to see, you know, Minnesota for, this is one of those games too. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday is it's almost hard to be too, too excited, I guess, depending on how you felt about this Vikings team. Obviously I'm a Packers fan. First and foremost, I'm happy. I hate the Vikings more than any team in the world. So I'm always happy when they beat the Vikings. That being said, I just don't think the Vikings are very good. And then you add in that Daniel Hunter didn't play the Vikings defensive line without Daniel Hunter and Yannick and Gakwe playing on a pitch count. I mean, Jake, some of them dudes are guys I didn't even know existed until the game started on, on their defensive line. And then you add in that they had no cornerbacks. I just all week, I, I tried so hard to temper my thoughts and everything just because I never want to come across as this blatant homer, but whenever I got this discussion of the Vikings are the most complete team in the Packers division or in the NFC North, I just, I don't understand that. Their wide receiving core right now is Adam Thielen and uh, Justin Jefferson, which, I mean, he's a rookie, so take that for what it is. Their offensive line stinks. Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins, and they have Dalvin Cook, and he's pretty good. Good for him. And their defense is replacing a lot of dudes. I just... I don't understand that. So I personally, I don't think the Vikings are very good. So that part, I'm going to temper my expectations a little bit on the offensive line, just because I would like to see them face a, a better opponent. Uh, and Detroit might very well qualify as one of those, just because Minnesota, especially without Michael Pierce and Daniel Hunter might qualify as somebody that uh, is a better opponent. Yeah. I think we're going to find out next week, you know, uh, I mean, Detroit's got, you know, those Alabama boys in the middle of their defense. Trey Flowers is is no slouch. So um, even with, like, Elton Jenkins, you know, I, and, and I'm guilty of this. I'm I'm super excited. I'd say if Elton Jenkins can play right tackle at an above average clip, then he that's his spot, you know, because those guys are so hard to find. And also, I mean, the way the Packers run their outside zone scheme, guards are kind of plug and play because really – their point man for those outside zone plays, the way the Packers do it, is Corey Lindsley. And so you don't really need your guards to be kind of, the, you know, the, that tip of the spear, um, so to speak. So if, if Elton Jenkins can play out at right tackle, 
leave them there. But like you just hit on, they were blocking dudes that are not dudes. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're they're not like Yannick is a good player. And what's really interesting, I wanted to talk to you about this before we get into the Packers defense is, you know, just talking about Matt LaFleur and how if there's anything leaving this game, you know, anyone not named Aaron Rodgers that I'm excited about, it's Matt, it's Matt LaFleur because I think the Packers have a really, really damn good head coach and he's young and he's going to get better. And he just does stuff on a week-to-week basis that just makes me shake my head and think, like, that's so obvious that you did that, but so smart. You know, you look at this Vikings team and no Daniil Hunter, who Daniil Hunter is a super good run defender. He's a super good – he's just a very good player. But without him, Yannick is not a good run defender. He's never been, and he won't be. You know, he he is kind of if you if you, Packers fans want to equate him to someone, think like uh, KGB Kabir Baja Bamalia. Like the dude can get after the quarterback, but he's not a great run defender. And so, what do the Packers do? They attack the edges the entire game. I've never seen this Packers team run so many you know toss plays or jet sweep plays, and they did it all game. And they didn't. And we were talking about this off air. They didn't do it with guys that you would typically expect. They did it with guys like Alan Lazard got two of them. Like that blows my mind because he is not the type of guy that I think you really expect to get that those types of looks. Um, and he he looked great. And we talked about Alan Lazard and you know he gets he gets this reputation of you know this guy who is you know he's clunky he's not a good athlete this and that he, we should he should have moved to tight end and it it just came out that Jacksonville when he was there they tried to move him to tight end and. I think he's a guy that, man, he just has that type of sneaky speed where he is. I mean, he's he's a 4-5 guy. He's not slow. And he's got that that long stride where he's he's running all of a sudden he's he is on you. And before you know it, before you can get your flips hit, your hips flipped, he's gone. You know, so uh he's a guy that I think, you know, is really exciting to watch, but you know, you look at this Packers defense and I mean, it's tough. It is tough, Jacob, because it just going back and kind of rewatching the game, there was there was the Vikings offense had no rhythm the entire game, partially because the Packers wouldn't let them get into one, and then when the game was over, that's really when oh yeah, but they put up you know X amount of points. The game was over. You know, like yes, can you prevent defense be better than it was? Like absolutely, and, and it needs to be. And and they'll, the Packers will be the first ones to admit that. But it, it's just a weird case study because you you just don't know. They had the ball for 18 minutes. You know, you you don't play terrible defense and only let the team have the ball for 18 minutes. So it's interesting. And what's really interesting is this dude named Chris Barnes, who and explain this to me, Jacob. How do you how do you get cut a week ago? And the two guys that the team that cut you are still on the roster. They weren't cut. And then when the game started, you're starting over them. Boy, like, that sure feels like a disconnect between the uh, defensive coaching staff and the uh, general manager does. We talked about this a little bit last year with Dexter Williams, right? So last year when Dexter Williams makes the final roster, and Trey Carson is cut, and they have a chance. Jamal Williams leaves the Eagles game with a concussion. 
instead of making Dexter Williams active, they elevate Trey Carson from the practice squad. That answered every question you needed to know about how Matt LaFleur felt at that time about Dexter Williams. How does Mike Pettin feel about Oren Burks? Well, there you go. Uh, an undrafted free agent that got released by the general manager started on Sunday. And, I mean, I, I, I think that we've tried as fans and that Mike Pettin has tried as – as a defensive coordinator and that Brian Gutekunst has tried essentially to almost force Mike Patton to put Burks on the field. And there's just, it's not happening. And, yeah. and Oren Burks is just, I, I mean, I, I hate to be this guy cause I hate throwing these words around so freely, but he's a bust man. And it's, this is a guy that was traded up for in the third round. They've tried to pencil him in as a starter and Mike Patton has found every which way to not put this guy in the field. I think they said Burks played three snaps yesterday. I could clarify that to be sure. But either way, three snaps, and it's not like the Packers have Ray Nitschke and Bernardo Harris and George Kuntz and Desmond Bishop and, you know, Prime, all these dudes just running all over the place in their linebacker room. It's Christian Kirksey and the Funky Bunch. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of guys there. And undrafted free agent Chris Barnes is your starter. And I'm not taking anything away from him because we're going to get into how well he played because he certainly did. He proved them right. But your question is not unfounded because that is insane to me how I looked on the field and was like, I saw him and I'm like, who is, who is 51? Dude, dude I, did, I had to look it up. I mean, I, I didn't have to look it up, but it took me a second. I was like, what? Who is, I was like, did someone, did, did ties like, who did someone change numbers? Like what's going on here? And, and it's, it crack, like Oren Burks, like I agree with you, like he's a good special teams player, um, but as a third round pick, like he was drafted to be the guy in the middle. You know, Ty Summers, that doesn't upset me because Ty Summers is probably one of the Packers' top three special teams players, and I think that's really that's what they're playing for him is. He's a seventh round draft pick. He's already really earned that pick just by his prowess on special teams. So I don't really hold any animosity towards him. I don't think he is a a true defensive player, not yet at least. Um, and the other part, the only and the only way I can think you can defend Oren Burks is you you think okay, so was the Packers game plan then you know they knew this was going to be a Gary Kubiak run heavy type offense and the, and and Barnes is really the only other thumper type they have. Is that why they played him? I I don't know. Well, I mean time will tell, but he played he played his butt off. I mean he played really well you look back the last few years the Packers have had guys that fans have been really excited about you know three years ago when Oren Burks was a third round pick you're excited about that you know the reports where he was good last year Curtis Bolton kind of was the guy that stole the show and we might get to see him here in the next couple weeks Um, and then this year it was Kamal Martin and who got hurt as well all three of those guys boom 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 got hurt Um, Curtis Barnes stayed healthy and Chris Barnes is the guy that probably nobody would have expected to be someone that after week one, we're going to be sitting here talking about as the top graded player from PFF and a guy that's not to interject on your point too much there. Just thinking ahead too, like if that was their plan though, the plan to pivot to a pass happy game wouldn't have taken too much. I mean, it was 29 to 10 at one point and they still didn't put Burks on the field. So, I mean, I think that Mike Patton has told you several different ways there. There is, I'm not saying that this is like trouble in paradise or anything crazy like that, but there is some disconnect as to how 
Mike Patton feels about certain players and how Brian Gutekunst feels about certain players because you've heard him openly talk about how he feels about players like Montrevious Adams. And Mike Patton basically said that when he got to Green Bay, he told Montrevious Adams how he felt about him, and it wasn't positive. And he says that's changed, but Adams has basically worked his way out of favor each of the last two off seasons, and this year he got hurt, so that didn't help his cause either. But Burks is one of those guys, too, how Gutekunst always brings him up when they talk about the linebacker position, and he's penciled in as a starter, and whether injury, even when he's not injured, he doesn't play. And it seems very clear that the Packers are going to find ways to not put him on the field. And by the Packers specifically, I mean Mike Pettin. So Burks' time as a linebacker, if it was ever going to come, it's going to come somewhere else, or if the Packers have a different defensive coordinator. Or, or if they're absolutely forced to play him, which yeah. I don't know what that means. I mean, they've put in safeties before they've put in Orenberg. So, um, yeah, to your point, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and to Chris Barnes' credit, makes me not care, you know, if he's going to play like that. that He played really well. You, you look at his grade, he had an, 80, an 82 grade, which is a high-quality high quality performance. He only played 15 snaps, which is about right for that second inside linebacker in, in Mike Pettin's offense or defense, you know, all this, you know, gnashing of teeth about who's going to be that second inside linebacker. Who's it going to be, you know, Raven Green's hurt, Oren Burks is hurt, Kamal Martin's hurt. Well, you're talking about probably 15 to 20 snaps a game that you're going to get that guy even in there. And the fact of the matter is in those 15 snaps, Chris Barnes really made his presence known. Uh, yeah, he had three, maybe three defensive biggest, stops. Yeah. And maybe the biggest play of the first half where he turned a, a play that might've been a touchdown into a punt because he makes a tackle on a screen mm-hmm. pass that I don't remember if it was Cook or Alex Madison. It doesn't matter. It could have been me. <laughs> if if Barnes doesn't make the tackle, he's got a lot of green grass ahead of him, and he probably hits his head on the goalposts. It's it's those, like, small, big plays that they don't really – you talked about it last night on the show. It's like it's a play that doesn't show up in the box score necessarily, but it shows up on the scoreboard. Yeah, and you, you go back and, and rewatch that play too. And, uh, dur- like, during the live – broadcast I just kind of felt like oh okay 51 was there and made a play cool like but you go back and watch it he read that thing perfectly I mean he he knew exactly what was going on he had the awareness and the athleticism to beat a block over there and and then to finish to finish the play Uh, just a really nice play and he might not ever make a nice play the rest of his career for all I know he's an undrafted free agent guy who literally none of us thought were gonna make the team Um, but heck man this is how great stories start in the NFL sometimes guys getting injured and someone stepping up and, and playing well. So and I hope that's the case for him because like I was saying, so, you know, uh, PFF does this thing where basically they call them defensive stops where he, you, the defender basically creates a negative play for the offense in his 15 snaps. He had three defensive stops. Um, and I'm no mathematician, Jacob, but that's 20% of the time he was out there. So uh, that's, that's impressive. So, you know, he's a guy that I know, He's going to probably become a Packers darling pretty quick here uh, if he can continue to play like that. So I'm excited for him, man. That'll be that'll be interesting to see what happens because um, Kamal Martin's not coming back anytime soon. You know, Curtis Bolton is still a guy that I'm holding out a little bit of hope for. It's weird that he's still not healthy, um, but but we'll see. Uh, moving down the list, that really was the only high quality score the Packers got on defense. And if you watched the game yesterday, you could probably understand why. A couple of above-average scores were, were, were the usual. You know, Zadarius Smith had an above-average score. Jair Alexander had an above-average score. And Jair is, is another one, kind of like the Devontae syndrome, where you say, 
he played great. He had two of the biggest plays in the game. How could he not have a higher score than that? And truth be told, that's, that is Jair, you know, that that's how he's going to be. And, you know, Charles Woodson, when he was playing corner too, did not always get the highest uh, PFF scores because of the way he played and the style of his play. And Jair is very much like that, where he's going to take some risks and he's going to try to create turnovers and he's going to try to make plays. And, the cost of that is sometimes giving up plays. Um, like the touchdown he gave up to Adam Thielen at the end of the game. Uh, I'm not sure if he could have done anything differently there. That, you know, to Kirk Cousins' credit, that was that was a really good ball. Um, but, you know, he, he's going to get beat sometimes. But he's going to make plays sometimes. So I think he's going to be one of those guys that you think, that people think, you know, PFF have like a bias against or something like that. And that's just not the case. That's just kind of his style of play. Um, really good player though, and someone that this Packers defense needs guys like him. Um, two other guys that just had average scores were Tyler Lancaster and uh, Kingsley Kiki, who, you know, I, I honestly have no takes on them. I thought I thought I don't I honestly didn't even notice Tyler Lancaster at all yesterday, and um, Kingsley was a guy that I, I thought looked quick. I thought he looked light on his feet. And that's about it. He had a couple of good cleanup plays where I thought he really came in and delivered a blow and, and played hard. But besides that, I don't know if there's much there to talk about. But one thing that I think is really interesting to talk about is um, Jacob, your son, <laughs> Rashawn Gary. Actually, uh, you know, Ben Fennel right now, as we speak, is breaking down the game. And he, he played he played pretty well yesterday. He, he did some stuff that, that should get people excited. He, he led this, this team with three total pressures and two quarterback hits. I mean, uh, that interception that Kirk Cousins threw uh, was absolutely an assist from Rashawn Gary. And we were talking about him off air. And this was really the first time, I think, that we as Packers fans got to see the Rashawn Gary of 2020. And Mike, I mean, he he's transformed his body. Like he is a guy that you look at him last year and you look at him at Michigan, he's got some weight in his pants. You know, he's got the kind of the, the thick thighs and kind of the, the defensive lineman, almost five tech type body. The guy that the Packers drafted in 2019, I'm not even sure you can say that's the same player. I mean, just the way he moved on the field and how explosive and smooth he looked coming from that edge spot. I mean, it's it was noticeable. Uh, but I don't want to talk too much about that because he's your boy. So Jacob, you know, you hear stats like that. What does what that? How does that leave you feeling? Uh, it's one of those you've got. Uh, it's it's like the the process maybe doesn't always lead to the greatest of results, right? So. It's it's like the the numbers will will be there eventually. So no, he didn't have any sacks. He had the same amount of pressures as Z, but Z had the one sack, right? And the Packers pass rush as a whole yesterday, I thought was a little disappointing, all things considered. If you had told me that at one point in the game the score was twenty nine ten Packers, I would have told you Kirk Cousins died because my thought going into the game was the biggest advantage for the Packers was their pass rush against this Vikings offensive line. And it it just wasn't as no, now, granted, I mean, every game's not going to be like the one Z had last year in Minnesota where he just completely wrecked the entire game. That being said, when it comes to Rashawn Gary, three pressures, and you look at just some of the stuff, again, it's a small thing that doesn't show up necessarily on the stat sheet, but it shows up on the scoreboard. 
He crashes hard on a stunt, absolutely obliterates the Vikings' right guard, and it leads to a, a hitch route that Thielen's open on that turns into an incomplete pass because the guard is now in Kirk Cousins' lap. Again, not a sack, probably doesn't even get credit for a pressure necessarily on the play, but it's a play that helps the team win the game. It affects the passer is the phrasing that Mike Smith and Brian Gutekunst would like me to use. So that is the phrasing that I will use. Again, the numbers are going to come. And I think you mentioned there's a lot of different things about Rashawn Gary this year. Again, his last two years at Michigan, he was playing strong side defensive end. Don Brown talked about a lot. He was basically jacking the tight end, setting the edge on the outside for the run. Something that sticks out to me, and I didn't think about it as much at the time when he got drafted, but if you go back and listen to a lot of Michigan defenders on that defense, including uh, Devin Bush, Chase Winovich, David Long, and then their coaches, Don Brown and Jim Harbaugh, all five of them, if you ask them who was the best player in your defense, to a man, they all say Rashawn Gary. All of them said Rashawn Gary was their best defensive player. And a lot of us in the draft community and people were like, really? why are they saying Rashawn? Like, this is a guy who's freak athlete, freak athleticism. Like, why would they all, to a man, say stuff like that? And I think slowly, maybe not at the pace everybody wanted, but slowly you're starting to find out some of the reasons why. And I think you're going to start finding out reasons more and more as the years go on, or as the year goes on, I should say the the Packers are going to have a potential buzzsaw of a pass rush here with the Smith brothers. And I know Preston Smith was quiet yesterday. Again, this isn't something that I anticipate being an issue. It's like you kind of mentioned, there really just wasn't a rhythm for the defense yesterday when the other team only has the ball for 18 minutes. It's it's a good thing for the defense as a whole. Like you said, there's some things they can tighten up. I'd like to see Petten maybe keep his foot on the gas a little more. Hopefully his thought and reasoning was more, hey, we were up by enough. Uh, I was trying to keep some things held back for when they have to play some closer games in the near future. If that's his thinking, then again, I don't love it. I'm a huge hater of the prevent defense. I scream about it every year and every team still runs it for some stupid reason. I don't know why, because you watch the NFL and it happens all the time. And teams play prevent. The Detroit Lions are a great example. Now, granted, the Lions are the inventors of finding the most ridiculous ways to lose games. Uh, but they started playing prevent early and it ended up costing them the game. So I say all that to say, yes, I am thrilled with Rashawn Gary. That is my son who I love and with whom I am very well pleased. And no, nah, I don't have, I don't have a good segue. I was going to say Rashawn Gary, who's from Detroit. Is that right? No, he's from New Jersey. Oh, dang. I don't know what I was thinking from. Yeah. Detroit. Well, played he played, at, Paramus, played at Michigan. That's probably why I'm played at Michigan. But he was from uh, Paramus Catholic. Actually, played out in uh, New Jersey. His high school ball out there was the number one recruit in the country, and actually picked Michigan over Clemson. So, one of the first real big recruiting wins for Jim Harbaugh. Unfortunately, before you guys all go ahead and make all your jokes, yes, that's one of the few big wins he's had since becoming Michigan's coach. <laughs> well, that was going to be my segue into talking about Detroit, but that's why I didn't pull the trigger on it because it just felt off, you know. But uh, so going into Detroit next week. Um, it's going to be a fun one because I think this Detroit team actually matches up better with the Packers a little bit. We talked about we talked about this last night as well. Yeah, and you just said it. You know, Detroit finds weird ways to win. If you've forgotten the Packers, <laughs> the Packers didn't lead yes last year against Detroit for the entire entirety of the two games of regulation they played. Oh, Jake, it goes. It gets better. I found out today Matt Schneidman of The Athletic said the Packers have not had a lead against the Lions since a field goal put them up 3 to nothing in 
the game Brett Hundley started in Detroit in 2018. It's a game the Packers ended up losing 35-11. So the Packers have not led the Lions in a game in regulation in almost three full years. Is that – no. That's not the it's real – that's not the Richard Rodgers Hail Mary in there either, is it? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, so that's not even no, in there. That's not no, even included in no. there. No, so, okay, so last year obviously was the two game-winning field goals. The season before that then would have been, oh, let's see, we're going back. So that would have been the year that Rodgers broke his leg, and so he left the first, or the second game with a concussion. So Kaiser finished that game. That's right, yeah. And then the first game in Detroit was Mason Crosby's nightmare game. So he missed like a million field goals and the Packers were down like 24 to nothing at some weird point. The year before that, the Packers played uh, in Green Bay. It was a Monday night game and Brett Hundley started. It was after Rodgers broke his collarbone and that game didn't go well, obviously. Green Bay didn't have a lead or they had a lead at one point in that game. I think it was three to nothing. Uh, obviously the Lions won that game big and then uh, they took a they took a field goal lead early in that game with Brad Hundley at quarterback in the last game of the season of the 20 that would be the 2017 season then but they haven't had a lead against the Lions in regulation that wasn't a game-winning field goal since that game that's wild so hopefully that's just a trend breaker the the top, the dam is about to break and the Packers are going to drop 50 on them this week so that's what I'm looking forward to. I don't think this offense is slowing down anytime soon. I say that, and what could possibly go wrong? You know what I mean? Uh, I'll tell you so- what, you mentioned matchups. Uh, wheel routes against Gerard Davis with the running backs and DeGuara and the tight ends, and then this could be a big week maybe to feel the stern a little. Oh, God, I hope so. I, we're waiting for it, man. He actually had a pretty nice period, too. You talk, talk about doing the little things. Um, he keeps blocking his butt off the, the passing. It'll, 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 it'll come, it'll get there. I know he was targeted deep once looked like he was a little bit, um, out of it, out of rhythm with Rogers, but they'll get there. I think that COVID case that he had at the beginning of training camp kind of set him back a couple weeks. So, you know, the, the year of the takeover with Jay Sternberger is just the way <laughs> referencing Jermichael Finley on, on, a podcast. on, on today, today as well, man, Jermichael was going off today. He didn't, yeah, he's going after Nagler. He was going after <laughs> just some wild takes for Michael Finley. Uh, but we Not love him, for man. Michael trying to stay we relevant, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right, Jacob. Well, we are, uh, we're well over our time limit. Um, which is always going to be the case when we get together talking about Packers football. And that is okay with me. And uh, I'm glad you guys um, stick around and, and listen to us. So I uh, appreciate you guys listening as always. Um, and I guess we'll see you probably in a couple weeks or so. Uh, Jacob, I know you're coming up here soon. And um, Jacob, tell tell the people where uh, they can listen to your sultry voice on a more regular basis. <laughs> Well, I have every Thursday here on the Pack-A-Day podcast with uh, Maggie Loney and the awful Jimmy Christensen. And uh, on, let's see, Saturdays, Pulse of the Pack over at Game On Wisconsin, GameOnWI.com. Sunday mornings, uh, I have the pre-snap with Alex Strofe and Jimmy Christensen. I just called them awful, and I volunteered to host multiple shows with them for some reason. Uh, and then all kinds of different stuff as it comes, and I'm always open to, to guest stuff. It's just if there's somewhere to talk Packers, I'll find a way to do it. So, if you want to find me in general, uh, Twitter.com is the best place to do that, at Jacob Westendorf. Jeez, man, yeah, get a life. Holy cow. 
<laughs> no, thanks for joining me today and jumping on, man. Um, and thank you guys again for listening. And as always, go Pack Go. First and ten for the 17 to San Francisco. Give Jones around the right end, gets a block, makes the turn, came to the foul, to the end zone. Second and two, six-yard line to Minnesota, tied at seven apiece. Graham tight end right side of the line, three receivers punch in the left, Rogers under center. It's motion to the right here in the pitch. Jones around the left end. He's got Bakhtiari blocking his front. Jones makes the turn of the pylon to the end zone for the touchdown. Second and short, get jump, big hole, right side, 20, 15, 10, to the go. end zone, touchdown! Takes the snap, delay, hands it off, Jones up the middle with a burst, there he is, 15, 10, 5, high stepping, Jones on, touchdown, Packers aren't going anywhere today, they are here to play, 33 yards, touchdown burst! To match the number on the jersey of Aaron Jones. Oh my goodness, what a play. Jimmy Graham wide to the right side. Three receivers bunched tight on the left. Aaron Jones on the left side of the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers in shotgun. And off Jones, picks his way off the right side, fights for the goal line, and did he get in? Yes, he did. Touchdown. Single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers. He ducks in under center. From the 29 of Green Bay, and here's a handoff off the middle. Big hole. Straight ahead. Here's Aaron Jones. Off to the races. To the 20. To the 15. To the 10. Down the left sideline. And he's out of bounds. Inside the 10 of the 5-yard line of Miami. Aaron Jones with a first. 67 yards. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.